are kicking off a brand new series today called Changing Room. And in your notes should be, in your bulletin should be some notes if you want to go ahead and grab those out, if everyone can do that. And do some fill in the blanks as you follow along. We also want to say welcome to those of you watching in the parent viewing room. Uh, that's a great place to go if you have little ones that get noisy during the service. We just kindly ask that you take them out and then an usher can help you find your way to that parent viewing room where there's toys and you can still watch the service with us. Well, when, we, when you think about uh, making New Year's resolutions, what kind of things do you come up with? Do you ever have a list? You know, we were talking about this in the office and I was talking about it with uh, some of the other pastors and, and Chris said, you know, I, you know, whenever I approach a New Year, I, I, I try to never make New Year's resolutions, but somehow they just creep up on me and they sneak into my mind and they sneak into my heart because, you know, subtly we just know that this is the beginning of something brand new. It's kind of a new chapter, uh, a, a chance to create something new. And I think we all love the idea of new beginnings, don't we? We all love that. Uh, we love a new football season, right? When it's 0-0 and everybody's on the same playing field. I mean, especially the Packer fans right now, they're looking forward to next season, it being 0-0. Zero, zero. You love a new hole in golf, don't you? When, especially when you've put two balls in the water on the hole before. I mean, a new opportunity lies in front of you. Uh, you love a new job, and the excitement and the opportunity that comes with that. You love a new season of life, a new school year, a new opportunity. Why do we love new beginnings so much? Uh, and I think you'd agree with this as first filling in your notes, that we love new beginnings because it signals that the story is yet to be written. Isn't that true? We love new beginnings because the story is yet to be written. We have hope for something that maybe wasn't there last time around. And this is why we have resolutions. That's why we say, hey, in 2018, I'm gonna, you know, lose some weight or I'm gonna do this or I'm gonna do that and, and I'm gonna be a better me in 2018, you know? I'm gonna be great in 18, you know? And that kind of rhymes a little bit. Eight, great, no, never mind. Uh, so we, we love that. And I'm sure Jesus would be happy with that. He's like, hey, way to go on the weight loss or way to go on whatever it is you're doing. Uh, but here's a question I wanna ask you. What kind of spiritual changes do you want to make this year? And I think a lot of times we focus on the exterior, but what about the inside of you? What are some changes that might stir up? Uh, maybe for some of you that have more questions than answers about faith, uh, after watching that video, you'd say, you know what, I'm going to jump into starting point next week. And it's during our second service, right down in the media center. And uh, maybe you jump in and say, you know what, I'm not going to let anything this year stop me from getting some questions answered that I have about faith in God. Uh, maybe for some others of you who only have thought about your lifestyle resolutions, you would pause to ask God what he wants to do in you spiritually this year. That'd be a great pause button. And say, God, show me some things that you want to do in me. Uh, maybe for others of you who have been following Jesus longer than you can even remember, uh, you know, it's so easy to kind of believe that you've arrived and there's nothing else that needs to change. And so we tend to just start going through the motions spiritually and we just check all the right boxes. But maybe if you're in that place, you would pray this honest prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139 when he said this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. 
I gotta tell you, I love David's honesty here. Because the Bible even calls David the man after God's own heart. I mean, if anyone could have arrived, it probably could have been David, you know, with all of his faith. But I love his honesty to say, I haven't arrived yet. And God, I'm on this journey, I'm on this path with you towards everlasting life, and I'm asking you in this moment to search my heart and to see if there's anything in me that offends you. And I just think that's such an interesting thing for him to say. Why would David ask God if there's anything that offends him? Because he had the heart that really wanted to change anything that needed changing. He wanted to work towards these things. And here's something that I know about you, that there's not a person in this room that doesn't want to change in some capacity in their life. There are things that all of us have, and although they may be different across the room, we all want to change, and the proof is in the pudding. You probably wouldn't be here this morning if there wasn't part of you that says, God, I want to grow. I want to keep changing. But sometimes on this path towards everlasting life that David was talking about, boy, it is so easy to become distracted on that path, isn't it? with the worries and cares of life and all the things that we juggle and manage, it is so easy to get distracted from the thing that matters most, our relationship with him. It's so easy on this path to be tempted, to take a different path, to find fulfillment in different ways, to be tempted with sin right in front of us. It's so easy on this journey to become apathetic, that we just become kind of like lazy in this journey, and we say, well, you know, I've already asked for forgiveness of sin, and yeah, and I believe God's the Son of God, you know, I believe all that. And I'm just going to coast now. We become apathetic, and we begin to go through the motions spiritually. But the great news is, is that no matter where you're at, change is possible. And that's what we're going to read and talk about today, that change is possible for every single one of us. And as an example of that, I would just like to reach out to all of my Packer fans in this room right here. And I just want to let you know that change is possible. That it is not too late. It is not, especially on this historic Super Bowl run that we are about to be on, it is not too late to come to the right side, okay? It is not too late. Change is possible for you. I mean, I've seen Packer fans burning their jerseys, their paraphernalia, their stickers. I don't know. I think change is happening. Don't write me a letter about that. All right. <clears throat> You know, we read all throughout Scripture that God wants us to keep changing to become more like Him. And so here's my hope for all of us as we enter this new year, and it's your next fill-in, that in 2018 that we would be intentional to grow in our faith and change to become more like our Heavenly Father. So here's our challenge to become intentional. Everyone say this word, intentional. It's a big word that just means that we're going to do something on purpose. And so here's my challenge for us as a church, that we would grow in our faith on purpose. That it just wouldn't happen by happenstance, but that we would take intentional steps towards growing in our faith and we would change to become more like our Heavenly Father on purpose. That we'd be intentional on this journey. And so it's up to you if you're going to take that challenge, but I hope that you will. Because one clear and amazing passage written by the Apostle Paul hits home on this idea of making room in your life for spiritual change and how those decisions impact us every single day. And Paul, he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, in, this, in the city of Ephesus, which has become the most important city in all of Asia Minor. 
And this is where present-day Turkey is located. And what made this city so important is that it had a harbor that was unlike any other. And it sat on the Kester River, which emptied into the Aegean Sea. And this meant it became one of the biggest trade routes, which turned this city into a commercial epicenter. And I want, to see, I want you to see the map of this real quick, where this is located. So where you see that red dot, that is present-day Turkey. And back in this time, this city was called Ephesus. And you can see just above where it says Ephesus, it says Kester River. And you can see the blue line that comes down and empties into, on the left, the Aegean Sea. And so because this was trade routes and, and all of these boats that would take merchandise different places, this became a hub of energy and excitement, and there was a lot of hustle and bustle and things happening here. And it was in this city that the Apostle Paul spent two and a half years of his life telling people about the life-changing message that Jesus would bring, that he died and he rose again, and he wants to change their life. After Paul is there, he gets arrested for preaching about Jesus and he is in prison as he pens this letter to the new Christians in Ephesus. And amazing to think about that while he's in prison, instead of having a pity party that I think probably most of us would have, say, God, I'm doing this for you. I thought you love me. Is this part of your plan? Are you kidding? I'm in prison. Instead, he takes that energy and he writes this letter to the new Christians. Now, before we get into what he wrote about this life change, Paul knew something that all of us intrinsically know but sometimes need to be reminded of. And it's this, and it's the next fill on your notes, that hope can be the catalyst for change, but our actions are what get us there. Hope can be the catalyst for change, but our actions are what get us there. And I know as soon as I say action, some of you are already checking out. You're like, Ryan, I was following you with this whole change thing until you said something might be required of me. Then I'm not so sure that I want change. Come on, we, we know what this is like. We all want to lose 20 pounds until we realize we have to stop eating fast food and sweets. Then some of us are not so interested in that kind of change, are we? Let's just go through life as normal. Uh, some of us want to get straight A's in school, and that's a great idea. Hey, let's change. Let's do that until you realize you might have to study and apply yourself and work hard. And then it's like, ah, A's aren't so great. I'll stick with C's and D's, right? Come on, we've all been there, haven't we? We say, I want that promotion at work. Oh man, I hope they pick me one day. But then when we realize we actually have to apply ourselves and earn that promotion, we're like, ah, maybe this job is okay. All of us have been in that place that we love the idea of change until it requires something of us. Isn't that true? And I know that as a Christian, it's so you know, easy to say, well, Ryan, what about this word right here? What about grace? I mean, when we're talking about spiritual change, can't we just call everything grace and let's just you know, move on? Jesus, you know, he forgave my sin and he'll just fill in the gaps on everything else in my life and I really don't need to change anything because really all that I need is grace. But here's the one important thing that we have to remember about this word right here. Is that while Jesus accepts us just as we are, when he finds us in our brokenness and in our messiness, he invites us into relationship and forgiveness, and he does that in full-on grace. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. He doesn't say, go take care of these five things first. Go check these boxes over here, and then you could come to me if you get some of your life figured out. No, no. This is the beauty of grace that he receives us right where we're at, brokenness and all. 
And that's amazing. But there's another side of this. That God loves us so much that he refuses to leave us there in our brokenness and in our messiness. And he says, come on, now begins the journey of becoming more like me. I want you to become more like me. I want there to be change in your life to grow, to grow. And I think the best way that I could put this is, is this way, and it's your next fill-in, is that grace is free, but growth takes participation. Grace is free, but growth growth takes participation. And all of us, we're thankful for the grace, but we can't just stay here and say, we don't need to worry about anything else. No, no, no. He is inviting us on this journey into growth. And every single one of us in this room, I know there's areas that we all want to grow in to become more like God, but it takes our participation. And so Paul, understanding this, pens these words to the new Christians in Ephesus. And he says this in Ephesians 4.22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Everyone say put off. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Paul is saying, listen, you know the way you used to live before meeting Jesus? You know the decisions that you used to make full of selfishness and full of sin and only trying to please yourself? That needs to change. And Paul says, I want, you to, I want to invite you into this journey to put off your old self, your old way of living. I want you to shed it because this is going to be part of your growth, follower of Jesus. And Paul gives us this insight about our old self that we already knew, that it's a corrupt and deceitful way to live. And every one of us have experienced that. We've been deceived to think that some of the things that we used to do would bring us life and would bring us meaning and would bring us fulfillment. Only afterwards, engaging in those things, we didn't feel full of life and we didn't feel fulfilled. Instead, we felt more empty and full of guilt, having more questions than answers about why life isn't clicking just like we thought that relationship that would be the fulfillment of everything remember when we thought that and it wasn't when those lies to protect ourselves, we thought would be the way forward in all actuality they were the way backward when those sexual choices we thought would bring meaning actually left a void that the drug or alcohol abuse we thought would help us relax and escape our current reality it just woke us up to the reality of how out of control we are. But we knew down deep that all of those things, come on, we, come on, we know this inside, that all of those things are a temporary fix to a permanent problem a temporary fix to a permanent problem. And even after receiving grace and even after receiving forgiveness and even after starting on the path that David called the path to everlasting life, 
that you might find yourself on, there is still sin and temptation knocking at the door of your heart. That won't change until the day you die. It will be there beckoning you to take a different path, to try to deceive you that fulfillment is found a different way. It's still there, it's still present. And this is what Paul knew as he began to write this letter. He wanted to understand that there had to come a time that there would be a decision for growth, a participation between you and God that would move you into the place you've always wanted to be. And so Paul begins to lay out what this change looks like. He says, put off the old self, and he immediately follows and says, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. I just think is so fascinating because all of us, you know, we just think what Paul's going to say here is you just need to pray more and you just need to say the magic prayer and then all of it's going to be gone. Isn't that true? There were some of you when you came to Christ and received grace that you just thought, I'll never struggle with anything ever again. Wouldn't that be nice? Poof, temptation's gone. Poof, old way of living's gone. Never even have to think about it. But it's not the case. And it's not just, hey, if I just attended maybe another church service, if I just, you know, if I just pray one more time, Well, all of those things are wonderful. They work towards the change of the attitude that Paul is trying to invite us into. This idea that our attitudes are powerful in our minds. He says, I want you to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Everyone say, put on. Put on the new self, created to be like God. That word created is important. We'll get back to that in a second. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul in this passage is not talking about receiving Christ as your Savior. That took place when you received free grace, deal done, sin forgiven, you have rights standing with God. What Paul is talking about is a whole new way of Christian living, a whole new way of growth that he's inviting us into, that he's asking us to start by paying attention in the attitude of our minds. And I thought this was so fascinating. Uh, Stephen Cole, he's a pastor and author, and he said this, and I thought it was just a great analogy. He said, when Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, they were officially free from their many years of servitude. But some of them went on living as if they were still slaves. The president's proclamation gave them legal standing as free citizens. It was a done deal. They were no longer slaves. But out of habit and way of thinking, many of these people still lived like slaves. So they needed to live in accordance with the new facts. When they were tempted to think like a slave, they needed to say, no, the truth is, I am now a free man. They needed to appropriate that truth into their daily experience. Even so, our old life involved a process of being corrupted by the lusts of deceit, Sin deceives us into thinking that it will give us freedom and fulfillment, but it's a lie. Sin only defiles, only enslaves, and ultimately destroys the person who is deceived by it. When Christ saved us, he liberated us. Right here. When Christ saved us, he liberated us from bondage to sin. We died to sin by virtue of his death on the cross. We were raised to new life in him. Now we must daily put off the dirty clothes of sin and put on the new clothes of righteousness and holiness in him because he freed us. There is still a strong tug toward the old life, but we do not have to yield to it. The changed life involves putting off the old man. 
Isn't that fantastic? What a great analogy. And I believe that this is Paul was trying to help us understand that we have to change with the attitude of our minds about who we are truly in Christ. And so let me ask you this question in this next fill-in. What attitude do I have about taking off my old self and putting on the new self? What attitude do I have? What attitude do I have? And I know maybe for some of you are saying, Ryan, I'm still not tracking on the old self, you know, or, or maybe those things that I need to stop doing. And if you're in that place, honestly, I would encourage you to pray that prayer that David prayed to say, God, is there any way in me that offends you? Is there anything in me that you're not pleased with? And here's what we know about our Heavenly Father, that He is so loving, just like those of you that are earthly fathers in this room, that you speak truth to your kids in love. Your Heavenly Father will speak truth to you. If you ask Him, God, is there anything in my life that offends you that you want me to work on? The Holy Spirit will be faithful to point those things out. And we're so grateful for that. Because he wants us to get into this attitude and mindset that would be able to say, old self, you're not in charge anymore. You don't bring true meaning or fulfillment and I reject you. To have the mindset that says, new self, bring it on. I want to learn more about who Jesus wants me to be and I want to follow him closer so my life can change. Paul said this in Romans 6. It was the same exact line of thought, different book. But he says, Romans 6, 11, it says, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. This is the new attitude. This is the new mindset. Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. In other words, this is the proclamation of your freedom right here. That you don't have to live under the law. You don't have to live under the control of sin any longer. It's not your master. And so go, going back to what Paul said in Ephesians 4, he said to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on this new self. And I think this is a putting on. And this word created is so important because we're not talking about a one and done. We're not talking about a receiving Christ and everything's different. Everything's changed. We'll never struggle again. That's not what he's inferring. But when he's talking about this word created, and this putting on. He's speaking to the journey and, a, and this word process that every single one of us have to take. And I can't overstate how important this word process is. Because for every one of us, we will never arrive in overcoming everything we want to overcome this side of heaven. We just won't. And until the day we die, until we take our last breath, every one of us are to be in process of putting off the old, putting on the new. He's inviting us into this. It's a journey of faith that we're taking every single day. And so how do I put on the new self? It's your next fill-in. It's actually simpler to talk about than it is to, to apply. We take time to learn from Jesus and we apply it. We apply it. Now this word apply is, I mean, it's the key deal here. This is so, so important. Because you could sit in these chairs for the next 52 weeks and you could learn all that you want, but if it never gets applied, nothing in your life will change. 
It's not about the learning. And while the learning is part of it, it's what we do with what we learn. Do we have an attitude and a mindset that says, God, I want to come in and I want to learn and not only just learn, but God, I want to apply it to my life because that's where change is found. And I have a confession to make. Uh, My wife and I, uh, we are not very good and I know I'm leaving you hanging here and you're like, oh my gosh. We are not very good at doing homework with our kids. Oh, there, I just said it. Uh, we're terrible at this. We are like the worst at this. And, um, you know, we're just busy. You know, like every school, you were like, we're gonna do it this year. You know, we're gonna be on top of it. You know, we're gonna help you get good grades and on and on. And, you know, the school year starts, you know, and we ask them, do you have homework? They say no, you know, and our kids are liars, you know, and that's just how they are. And, and <laughs> And we believe them. We're like, oh, okay, you don't have homework. Great, let's just go on with our night, you know? And, and this really bit us hard last year and report cards came home at the end of the year and it was not a good deal, right? And as much as we were like shaking a finger at our kids, we had to shake a finger at ourselves because we are horrible at this. I, we're just horrible at this. And so uh, one of our sons was recommended to do summer school and we just said, sorry, buddy, you know? You do the crime, you got to do the time. I mean, you just got to go to summer school. And so he went, and it was not a great experience. And, and so, like, this year, you know, coming in, we're like, we're going to do better this year. You know, we're going we're gonna to bring it about. And so, you know, we ask them, do you have homework? And because they're liars, they say no, right? It's, it's just in their nature, right? It's part of what they're trying to overcome. And we say, liar! And then we go to their bags, and then we start rummaging through the bags and say, what's this? And they're like, oh, I forgot! I didn't know! What do you mean you didn't know? You have, like, short-term memory loss. Like, this was just a couple hours ago. What is wrong with you? Um, and so, the, you know, then we do the homework. And so we've been trying to do a little bit diligent this year. We've been doing some flashcards and trying to help them with math and all these things. And the first round of report cards came and they got much better grades. And I was like, look at us. <laughs> Parents of the year right here. But it's only probably a matter of a couple more months before it all falls apart. You know, where it's just honestly, it's like you get into spring, you're like, ah, oh, they're almost done with school. What's the point? You know, it's like... Ah, oh, we're terrible at that. So all of your teachers, I'm sorry if you're a teacher. Uh, but here's what's so interesting, that we can't expect our kids to change unless they learn something different. We can't expect our kids to get better grades if they're not learning and applying so that they can grow to get better. And it's the exact same way in our spiritual lives that we can't make room for change unless we learn new things and apply them. We will stay stuck in this endless cycle of, you know, sinning and grace and sinning and grace and sinning and grace. And you feel so defeated in that when Paul is saying, come on, come on, I want to invite you into a new journey. And yes, my grace is there. But I want to invite you into a journey of growth. Buddy, this is a two-way street. Come on, this is going to take participation. Us working together to see God change our lives. And every time you show up on a Sunday morning ready to learn and apply, you're saying, God, I want to change. I want to grow. Every time you get into a small group and you're with people talking about the message and talking about what's going on in your life, that's where some growth really happens because you're learning from each other. And you're saying to God, come on, this is going to be a year of change. I'm serious about it. That's why we say around here that circles are better than rows. If you had to choose between one or the other, choose a small group over Sunday mornings because small groups is where it gets applied. There's accountability. We sharpen each other. 
every time you open up the Bible, every time you open up your Bible app and you read it and you say, God, I want to apply this. Show me how this is applicable to my life and I'm going to do this. You're saying, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to participate with you in growth this year. Every time you do devotions or you have an email sent to you with the devotion of the day, when there's a hundred of them out there, just Google it. And you start your day with a little scripture, a little prayer. I'm telling you what, it's like you saying, God, green light in 2018. I want to change. I want to grow to become more like you. And as you learn and apply and learn and apply and learn and apply, here's what we know is that the new self quickly replaces the old self. And the struggle becomes less and less because the new self is just residing in us. We know our place as children of God. And so your last feeling in your notes, when you accept God's grace for where you are and commit to growth, that is when change takes place. And this is what we all want. That His grace plus our participation in growth equals change. Come on, every one of us, we want this, don't we? And here's what's the amazing thing is, you may feel so far from being able to do this, and no matter what your 2018 resolutions are, it doesn't even matter. Here's what's true is that God's resolve of love and grace towards you far outweigh them all. He is so for you. He sees the potential in your life. He sees the things that you thought could never change. He sees them as changing. The things you thought to yourself, well, that's for somebody else at a different time and someone better than me. No, 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 your heavenly father says, come on. With my grace, and it's learning and applying, the Holy Spirit's gonna activate change inside of our life. And there's a power there that we can tap into that Paul tells us about in Romans 8, 11, and we'll close with this. And he said this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. It is not to the old way of living for if you live according to the flesh, you will, what's that word? Die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. This is the participation. And you will, what's the word? Live. We'll live. And by His Spirit, He's given us the power to change it. So take heart and take hope. The things that you internally want to see changed can change. And over the next several weeks in this series, we're going to talk about the very things that Paul says we need to pay attention to, to change in our life, to stay on the path of everlasting life. So we want to close today with a song that talks about God's power in us. So would you stand and sing, and then we'll close up our service. God, we thank you that your grace is free, that we can come to you just as we are and experience your love and your forgiveness. But we also thank you for this opportunity to change and to grow, to become more like the people that you created us to be with one step further every day. So we just ask for your help. We can take little step by little step, God, to become more like you. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.